Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. Touch your neighbor. Touch your neighbor, your left, your right, your neighbor. Just say a blessing over them. Whoever they are, whether you know them or don't know them, or know them well or think you know them, just, just say a blessing over their life. Whatever the Holy Spirit prompts you, just say a blessing for them. That they receive what God has for them today. That their life be altered, be changed. That they come into a new place of relationship with Jesus. That they be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That the grace of God would be on them more. That they understand the word, the counsel of God more. That the love of Jesus well up in them more. That they have a brighter and a greater understanding from today as they see Jesus high and lifted up. That the train of God fill the temple. Father, we thank you for this person and these persons. We thank you for every individual listening and who will listen later. That they receive the grace of God to do whatever you call them to do. That they never be the same again. That they never be the same again. That they be changed in Jesus' name. That they be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When Jesus said at supper, we call it the Lord's Supper, we recognize it as the Lord's Supper. When Jesus said at supper, he remarked and said he had a desire to eat this meal. How he longed to eat this meal with the disciples. If you read that passage, you know. He anticipated the moment of sharing the communion for the first time with the disciples. This is what we partake of and partook of today. Not just a ritual, not just a routine, not just something we do because it's first Sunday, but entering in with God. Entering in with God to share in remembering the body broken and the blood shed for us. No other reason than for us so we can be here now. Amen? Amen? Dwelling with him. Let the richness of the communion overwhelm you each time. Let the richness of the experience of Christ work in you God's good pleasure. In the book of Luke, chapter 18, we'll begin there. There is a particular story that outplays. Many of you, Bible scholars and those who've been around a while would be familiar with it. I ask you in Jesus' name to allow a fresh set of spiritual eyes to overtake you. Amen. That you might glean something more from the text today than what you already know. Amen. Two words. It's me. Can everyone raise a hand and say, it's me. It's me. This brings the focus away from your brother, your sister, those in front and behind. It brings the focus to self. It's me, Daddy God. Let there be a center focus on myself, my relationship with you. I desire you, Daddy God. It's me. This one simple line 
we'll put the context to it in a moment, opens by saying, Luke 18, 13, and the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That one sentence, ladies and gentlemen, changed his life forever. That one sentence, that one request that he made to God altered the course of his destiny. Actually turned it in a godly direction, making that one profession, confession, and request. Oftentimes, we need to visit and revisit this place. When you came to Jesus, the saying, the expression goes, when you gave your heart to the Lord, there's another phrase we use. When you got saved, some would say. When you, I could go on, you met the Lord. All these terms we use, we're talking about an introduction of unholy to holy. A coming face to face from one life transitioning to another life. If you let your mind go back to that day, in some cases it was days, it wasn't a single aha moment, it was a gradual releasing of self where you were holding, resisting the message of Christ and he kept knocking on your door, Amen. knocking on your door. Yeah knocking on your heart, calling you in the night, calling you in the morning, using strange, odd things to remind you of himself. Until finally you said, yes, Lord. If you haven't had that moment, you're not born again. That was awful blunt, yes, but it's also true. There's a defining moment when you actually know Jesus internally. It's a real place. It's a real time. It's a real thing. It's a real experience. It's not make-believe. If it were make-believe, every person who's professing to be a Christian is clinically insane. <laughs> you got some billion, millions of individuals who are claiming that they know someone who doesn't exist. <laughs> you guys are crazy. And there are people who think you are. However, those of us who know him are convinced he is alive Amen. and he is real. Yes. And that is not a church thing. It's not a tradition. It's not an entertainment thing. It's a relationship. Amen. This man in this setting is operating as an Old Testament character trying to reach a New Testament principle. Jesus has not come on the scene. All he's doing is groping for God. And that's where it starts. He's groping for God. He's reaching for something more. Are you understanding? He's, he's in that place where there's nothing to his left, nothing to the right, nothing in front. He's just daddy 
God, I can't even say those words properly. I can't even look up to you, but I want to be in your presence. I want my life to be different, and I'm, and I'm tired of struggling back and forth. I just want to come in to that place where I know you are. I believe it's possible. Just forgive me. Yes, I wish I could say it the way he said it. He was crying out to God for something that he needed desperately. In this scenario, if we put it in context, Back to Luke chapter 18. If you look at verse 10, the context reads this way. Two men went up into the temple to pray. I want you to see the motivation and see the action. They went up to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And then we enter our verse. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, who's talking? Jesus is talking. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Mm-hmm. Let that sink in for a moment, if you would. What is it that drives a man to see himself in the mirror wrongly? What is it that drives a person to have a skewed image of self? Distorted. You look in the mirror, and rather than seeing your true reflection, you see someone that's a foot taller, 20 pounds lighter, (laughs) in some cases, 20 pounds lighter, and fabulously rich in wealth. What's the problem with that scenario? That's what you want it to be. But what's actually in the mirror? What's actually in the mirror is what is actually standing there. If what is in the mirror is what's on the other side, you're fine. But if you're standing there and you don't see what is there, You are deceived. This man saw himself, as you you can read it. He came and he prayed to God from the standpoint of being all right already. I'm not going to God to approve him. 
I'm going to God for him to approve me. I'm right already. He stood there with the arrogance of someone who calculated no one else is in my category. He stood there. I'm glad you said what you said because we can point out teachings, philosophies, self-help books, and all the rest that actually encourage that. It's called visualization. So you deny the reality and you project the desired. That, that's what they're doing, basically. They're saying, I see myself as wealthy. I see myself 20 pounds lighter. I see myself coming into all this greatness. But we have an issue. Lack of participation with God. When you go down that road, the new ageist will join you. The secularists will join you. The Masons will join you, and I could go on and on and on. And every group that projects the Scientologists will join you and say, yes, it's all about the mind. Whatever you think and project, then you become. And God is taken completely out of the equation. You don't need God. All you need is a healthy self-image. And if you've got a healthy self-image, you'll make it. Because that is exactly what the world is teaching, and that's what they're doing. When it came into the church, rather than checking it and say, wait a minute, where is this coming from? People swallowed it, stuck it into scripture, and say, we will do the same. We will create our own reality by projecting what we want. We will name it and claim it. We will blab it and grab it. We will just say it's ours. In Jesus' name, throw Jesus' name at the back of it, then we can have it. <laughs> there is a problem, ladies and gentlemen. What does God want for your life? What does he want for your life? <laughs> it's a good question to answer. It's a good one to ask. It's a good one to open. This man, the, the Pharisee, he came before God already convinced he was right. When you read the text, you see his justifications for thinking he's all right. Why does he think he's all right? Be because he fasts twice a week. Because he's giving tithes of all he possesses. Because he's not an extortioner. He doesn't consider himself to be unjust. He doesn't run around on his wife. He's already ticked all the boxes that he thinks qualifies him in the eyes of God. Now, if you ask the question, well, what is wrong with not being an extortioner? Nothing. What is wrong with not being an adulterer? Nothing. What is wrong with not being unjust? Nothing. So there was nothing that he was doing that was negative. 
But none of the things he was doing were justifying him with God. Those are all good things to be doing, but none of them have justification in them. And by none of those means can you be justified. And that is his error. He thought, because I'm doing all these things, he's ticking the boxes. We do it sometimes. And he's saying, I qualify with God, because why? I tick these boxes. No, you're missing it. There's an internal working that requires the heart of man being broken and open to God so he can work on the inside. It's not a box-ticking exercise. That's why we said in the beginning, it's not a a ritual. I'm not saying, oh, oh Lord, let me take off uh, uh, communion. I've done that. Let me take that off. That's done. Oh, I went to church this Sunday. Let me take that off. Oh, yeah, I did pray. I sang half a song. Oh, yep. And take that up. So that exercise will not justify. God is yearning for a heart relationship with all of us. And it's minute by minute. You're sitting next to someone that you may or may not know, but I'll go outside the doors of this place to those listening online. I will say, if you came in contact with someone and you said to me, I have a relationship with that person, whoever they are, I turned to you and I said, how much do you trust that guy sitting next to you? That lady sitting next to you? That person sitting there? How much do you trust them? Inside, what will you do? You will look at the nature of your relationship. You will look at the history you've had with that person. Now, when have they ever lied to me? Let me down. Betrayed my trust. If it's your uh, boss at your work, when has he or she ever told me one thing and done another? Mm-hmm. If it's your schoolmate, when are they? These are the things you'll be checking. Why? Because it's relational. Yes. It's relational. So if, if God here is saying, you're ticking all these boxes, I want the heart relationship. He said, I'm fasting twice a week. Everything I have is already covered. <laughs> But the publican wouldn't lift up his eyes. He had an inner sense of, it's not about what I see. It's not about what I'm looking at. It's about what's happening inside. Are you seeing? What's going on inside? If you read your heart right now, what do you see? What are you busy with in your thoughts? What's, what's stimulating your brain right now? Are you captivated by him? Are you captivated by me? Or are you captivated by something else? Mm-hmm. Can you separate in your own mind the voice of God in your own spirit? Can you find that place where the Holy Spirit is talking to you right now? Can you act? Are you that sensitive that you know the voice of God right now? There's a human voice going. Well, there's also the, so- the sound of an instrument over here. There's the sound of things outside the building. There's people walking and talking. So your physical ears can hear many things. Jesus. Where is your inner focus? Can you hear the voice of God? Or are you easily distracted? Anything will take you off. Back to the analogy. 
How much can I trust the character of this person? Now you take that and shift it to God. How much can you trust him? Then ask the other obvious question, how much do I trust him? He's driving, right? At which point do you reach over and grab the wheel? Sorry, God. <laughs> I, just need to, I just need to get through this a little bit. Then I'll let you have it again. Sorry, sorry. No. Where, at what point do you say, let me, oh, excuse me, uh, let me, can I reach the gas pedal, please? Sorry. Let's, yeah, let me just reach the accelerator. Yeah, there we go. Let's speed up a little bit. Let's move. <laughs> and God is trying to drive. And you're saying, can I have the steering wheel? You're trying to reach the pedal. And, and you see him coming to a cliff. And you're trying to get to the brake. Oh, Lord. I know you're not taking me to that. And I don't want to go. Let me reach the brake. God said, let me drive. You should find yourself in the back seat relaxing. Daddy God, you drive. You be my chauffeur. I'm going to sit back. You guide me. I know that's a cliff. But if you drive off of it, I'm in a flying car. <laughs> that's, that's trust. That's trust. Amen. I'm in the back seat, and I know there's a cliff coming. And God is whistling in this driving. Uh, Daddy God, <laughs> I know you see what I see. That, is that not a cliff coming up? He's like, don't worry about it. Man. Don't worry about it. Yes, and you just sail right off. Whoosh. And you're in a flying car. Mm. That is where we're trying to get to with everybody. The impossibility of God to fail in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit. That where you will do anything for Jesus. Hallelujah. Because you know it will work out for my good. I don't care what it looks like. This thing cannot end badly for me. Why? I am in him and he is in me. He cannot fail. It was said last week, love, there is no fear in love. Fear and love cannot dwell in the same space, as the young man said this morning. It's impossible. So the man with the attitude that he has ticked all his boxes, he's looking down on this other person. He imagines what God is thinking about him. He has not even asked the Lord, is there anything in my life displeasing? He hasn't even considered the thought. Many of us are like that. We don't even think about asking God, is there anything you don't like about the way I'm living my life? We assume it's okay. Why? Because I did it. And because I did it, I think it's all right. Of course it's all right. I did it. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the justification. Is that what God wanted you to do? No. Well, that's what I wanted to do. So that makes it right. You don't even ask him the question. You don't even give him the opportunity to correct you because you assume I'm all right already. That's what this guy is doing. I'm okay. How could I get, how could I get it wrong? I'm a Pharisee. I'm in the upper class. How could I be wrong? This list he made up, moral failures of others. What does that tell you about himself? What does it tell you about a person who is always able to calculate someone else's downfall? 
Oh, that one is a, an adulterer. Oh, that one is an extortioner. Oh, that one. Got a list a mile long of what everybody else is and how short they come. Can I ask the question, where's the list for you? Where's the list for your own shortcomings? He had a list of everyone else. So, if I, well, let me, make it, let me make it simple for the, those in the audience who like to see things made simple. Right. Now, there's a guy under the bridge and he is unemployed and he lives outside and he has no relatives and both his legs are bandaged because his feet are diseased. Mm-hmm. Compared to him, are you doing well? Go, I, I see the answer coming. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, saw, I see it coming. It all depends on where he is in life. Really, we come down to it. So you answered the question from the... If he does have God, mm-hmm. right, and he's down mm-hmm. in, the, in where he is, uh-huh. and your relationship with God is not on track, mm-hmm. then he is better off than you are. Hey. So why would God have him under the bridge with no food or, or, or living in those such conditions? To reach me. To reach you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the answer can be stretched in any direction, yes. So let me make it more specific. Physically, is he doing better than you? No. <laughs> that was a short one. So physically, you would say, I'm, well, I'm, I'm better off than that person because of their physical condition. Yes, but, internally, they could be walking as a citizen of the kingdom. They could even be an angel in disguise, as far as you know, as far as I know. Right? Okay, so I can get to where he is Spiritually, it takes a great deal of effort for him to get where I am physically. Right? He can get there, but there's an effort to be made to arrive at that point, and he needs assistance. Where the publican was, the Pharisee could have gotten there, he could have become more sensitive and not put everybody down and make this huge long list. Mm. This is actually, let me try to understand this guy next to me. Mm. What, what, what is he going through? What is his position? But he made no effort. That's what the heart of God is saying. To see people in situations and they made no effort to reach or understand or comprehend what it is that they're dealing with. And to consider oneself as outside the possibility of ever even being there. And this, this is huge. I wish I had all day, but I don't. To deal with this, this is huge. He made himself common by his actions. But he's thinking he's uncommon. I'm, I'm better than the rest. I'm, I'm higher than the rest. And to even... Wait a minute, where are you right now? Where are you right now, Mr. Pharisee? You're both in the temple. Are you understanding? You're both in the temple. Mm -hmm. We'll see in a minute the significance of that, but just let that begin to come into your mind. We're both in the temple. How can you dare 
look down on another and you're both in the temple. What are you there for? Did you come for God? Did you come for self? You're coming for me. Who are you looking to meet? He's, he's in this mindset. He's, he's ignoring all of the obvious. So that's the conflict of ego. This, the true assessment of self, this breaking of tradition to understand the publican is a tax collector by trade, an agent of the Roman government. These individuals were hated in their time. They represented someone who's working for empire, which is why they were so looked down upon, someone who is an, an agent of an oppressor. People today still have problems with the tax man. <laughs> people in our own time have issues with the tax. I've heard so many times people cursing and being upset with the tax man. He should, that person is just an agent of the government. But they take out their frustration with the policies of the government and the taxation of the government, and who do they bring it and lay it in front of? The person who's collecting the tax. They're the enemy. So this is another subconscious reason for him to look down on the publican. To say what you're doing is despicable. How dare you work for the Roman government? All of this is the context, ladies and gentlemen. The tax gatherer, tax collector, is the Greek word telonies in the King James Version, the King James Bible. The word is translated publican. He was contracted by Rome to collect taxes for the government during the New Testament times. The Greek word telonies were really not the publicans. Publicans were wealthy men, usually non-Jewish who contracted with the Roman government to be responsible for the taxes of a particular district of the imperial Roman state. These publicans would often be backed by military force. They could arrest you, throw you in jail, take your property, uh, take your persons, and imprison them for slave work so that they could then work off their debts. The Telonis are tax collectors to which the New Testament refers with the exception of Zacchaeus, which was the one we read, came down from the tree to talk with Jesus, were employed by publicans to do the actual collecting of taxes within the areas where they lived. These men were Jews, usually not very wealthy, who could be seen in the temple, read Luke 18, 13, which we have. They were probably very familiar with the people from whom they collected taxes. That's another rub in the ointment that somebody that you know who's in your community is employed by a service of Rome to take taxes from you and you see them on a daily basis. It was these partorteries who were referred to as the tax gatherers, the telonies in the New Testament. So these are all subtexts and, and under discussions that while the Pharisee is standing there, not only is he looking at contempt on this man. He's saying, you are not even worthy to be in the temple. That's another level down. We, we can look around and say, well, who do you, who do you look down on? 
Oh, that person came. Uh, well, Father God, help me tell the truth in Jesus' name. <sighs> that person came in a particular, in our day, in a particular dress, in a particular, I've seen people do it in churches, examining the cloth of which the dress is made as to quality, examining the registration on the car that they're driving, examining, I met a man one time in the city center, quote-unquote Christian minister. Hadn't seen him in years. The first thing he said to me, oh, I see, I see you still have those shoes. What are you talking My brain had to go pause, edit, delete. Wait, I haven't seen you. And because on that day, I happen to be wearing shoes that you recognize. First of all, how do you even recognize the shoes I'm wearing? But that's where his mind was. He's, he's judging. How successful are you? Looking at your dress. How, how far up the ladder are you? What are you driving? What are you wearing? These are things that shouldn't be in the temple. So this judgmentalism, this criticism comes from self-righteousness. Let me say it loud for those in the balcony. This kind of critical critique comes from self-righteousness. You're in the temple. We're here to worship God together. Why are you judging me? The man is standing here. Where The Bible says they both went up to Pray, not to play. They went up to pray together. So why is it we're standing here and you've got your nose turned up at my state? Are you seeing this? They went up to pray. Well, who are you praying to? I believe that the Pharisee is praying to himself. 100%. I believe he's praying to himself. You don't think it's possible? It's very possible. I can ask you one question and you would answer it and I know that that answer would be true. Have you ever talked to yourself? <laughs> That's it. Then the answer is done. Then you can pray to yourself. You're not talking to God. You're talking to yourself about yourself. And God is just watching you. You're not praying, you're talking to yourself. Have you ever been in a, in a prayer group, those Christians among us, and someone goes to pray and you, you know they're talking to you? <laughs> they're just talking as if they're talking. You're not talking to God. You say, oh, Lord, let me throw a hint now. Let my brother standing here realize that uh, he needs to change. <laughs> you're talking to yourself. You're not talking to God, trying to throw hints in prayer. Quit it! Stop that foolishness! Mm. All I'm asking God for is breaking. Let me be broken. Mm. Let my family be broken. Let the church be broken. Let everybody be broken before God and come with an open heart. Yes. Then something can get done. Holy Spirit, do the work of God in the church because you're the only one that can do it. This guy is into himself. The second man made no comparisons. Even his, his physical position in 
prayer. He stood afar off. I'm not trying to be the one in front of the altar. I'm not trying to be the one up front. I'm just, I'm just wanting to be somewhere where God will recognize my sacrifice. That's all he's looking for. It's a little space in the presence of God. Just a little space. Again, when you see the outline of the temple in a moment, you realize how significant the physical posturing is. His focus are on two points. God himself. I need to change. I'm self-aware. And I'm not lying about my condition, about how I really am. He wouldn't even look up. That's a, a, a image of the temple that Herod built. It was great. It was fortified. It was wonderful. There is an enclosure here. This inner court area. And the altar is up there. Out here, these are the courts of the Gentiles. So if you were not a Jew, you couldn't even go into the inner. Forget about the Holy of Holies, which is up here. You couldn't even get close. Oh, Lord, I want to... Oh, Jesus. It's got me because why? This imagined space between us and God has been eliminated by the blood. The blood of Jesus has now drawn us into that very place, into the Holy of Holies. We can now enter in. And some people still want to stay out in the outer court. Why? Why would you want to stay out when His blood has opened the door for you to come in? Yes. Oh my God. This man saw no legal right of access. I don't deserve to get any closer to the altar than I am. So he stood afar off. Not even looking up. Oh, Jesus. We need not come like that now. Because of the blood, you can come boldly to the throne of grace, to the mercy seat. Amen. The temple was a place of sacrifice. Second Chronicles 7, 12. The temple was a place for prayer and praise. Isaiah 56 and 7. You can take the notes there. The temple was a place for remembering the law of the Lord. 1 Kings 8, 9. Where you went to reflect on what God has said to you as a people, as a nation. The temple was a place for the revelation of God. Where the, the Torah would be open. Where the scrolls would be read where you would hear the revealed word of God when you went to the temple. I wish I could point to the church and say all these things. The temple was a place for the union of all people. Psalms 122. A place where when we came together, it was irrespective of your line, irrespective of your tradition in terms of your family wealth or lack thereof irrespective of your position in society, when we came to the temple, it was neutral ground. We're all the same before God. Amen. It wasn't no big pastor so-and-so and little member so-and-so and that's my parking bay and that's my assigned seat and you can't come in here and you can't go over there. This is for the elders and all this nonsense. Lord, help me, Jesus. Oh, God, help me. Hallelujah. When you came to the temple, they went up to the temple singing. 
not mumbling, not murmuring. They were calling because they were approaching God. And they were coming together. And when you're going to the temple, you were excited. You were happy. You were thrilled. We, we, we come into some places. Ah, Jesus. Wow, it's tough in this part right here. Mm. Either it's too carnal, mm. and it's a circus. Goodness. And flashing laser lights, cameras all over the place, jumbo monitors. It's entertainment. It's Christian entertainment. Mm. And many Christians only go to church to be entertained. If they don't have a singing elephant and a dancing bear, they're not going. What circus performer will be here today? Oh, here's a top billboard name. Professor Flip Flap, Dr. Billy Water, Archbishop This That, Sister Satsu, whatever, all these names. Oh, you know, so-and-so's going to be at the church this week. Oh, really? I think I'll go. If you put a billboard out there on the street and put some quote-unquote big-name star, the place would be heaving. Yes. Standing room only. Yes. Put the name of Jesus out there. Hey. And they come when they want to or they don't want to. Hey. Well, who's going to be there? Jesus. Oh, well, I saw him last week. Yes. I saw Jesus last week. You know, you know. Jesus is so yesterday. I, yeah. The king of glory. Hallelujah. He is not worthy. This is the truth that people don't like to tell you. This is the truth we need to hear. Yes, amen. I'm not going to see people anywhere. Many years ago, I was talked into by some very well, quote, meaning individuals to go to this conference and they were all hyping and hyping who's going to be there from this country, who's going to be there from that country. And they were going on and on. And I'm sitting there saying, I'm not impressed. All I want to see is Jesus. Amen. I, I don't care about the title. No. I don't care about all of that fanfare. Amen. And we went and I sat. And what did I see? Souké, souffle. What is souké? That is flesh on display. Flesh has a particular stench when it's being displayed. It smells like rottenness in the absence of the power of God. God detests that smell, and I do too, because I've learned to smell it. If you walk in the spirit, you'll know what I'm talking about. Whenever the flesh is on display, it has that, that decaying odor because it's not bringing life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. Amen. That when his word is coming, it's giving life to the spirit of the hearer. The flesh entertains. And for 15 minutes, that one is entertained. I saw the show. I saw the performance. I was thrilled. And you walked out unchanged. Because that same Bible wasn't picked up any more after the event than it was before the event. But when the Holy Spirit touches your heart, you'll find yourself thirsting for Him. Amen. Longing for the Word of God. Desiring to spend time with God. That's, that's the one swing of the pendulum on that side. The other side is coldness. 
disaffected, can't be moved, can't be touched. Doesn't matter what God says. I look at it and say, hmm, there was a, a very interesting observation made. Suppressing what you feel in God. Holding back. If this person loves you and you express your love to them, and rather than them saying, I love you too, they only said, that's nice. <laughs> and every time you say, oh, I, I love you, they said, thank you. <laughs> but the third time you say, oh, but you don't, you don't get it. I, I, I love you so much. That's funny. <laughs> you will begin to say, wow. I, I, I can't get through. Yeah. That's, a, that's a different kind of hurt, isn't it? Because you are expressing your emotion, your feeling, your longing, and they're just being passe, being blasé, and oh, it's okay. Did you catch the game last night? Did you watch the game last night? And you're like, I just said I loved you. I know, you watched the game last night. <laughs> <laughs> Father's arms open wide. When we go to the temple, we're embracing God and we're embracing men. We're embracing the family and we're embracing the Father at the same time. This gentleman didn't understand the purpose of the temple, yet he was in it. He was a Pharisee, he was a leader. But you don't understand the purpose the temple. Look at this example here. Mm. Essentially it was the tabernacle <coughs> the erection of the and ritual of which were directly revealed by God and Sinai. Neither in principle nor even in minute detail were the directions of Jehovah about its construction to be disobeyed. Nothing was to be left out or ignored. It was built exactly as he instructed from the Ark of the Covenant down to the hooks for the curtains, the command ran, See that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. That was God talking directly to Moses. I want the entire construction of the tabernacle made exactly how I showed it to you. Father, can I go further there? Okay, I'll come back. There are far-reaching issues ever flowing from the smallest detail of divine law. Great meanings are wrapped by God in trifling little things. Let your, let your mind understand what's being said. That if God said, I want five gold rods here, it doesn't mean four and a half. It doesn't mean three. It doesn't mean three gold and two silver, I want five gold rings. Mm. Everything he says fits into his intricate divine purpose. There's nothing accidental at all. If he is that specific to tell you the, the, the color of the thread in the embroidery, I can, I can take you into the forest and I can show you a bird 
which one of them is sloppily put together? Mismatched wings. Mismatched every, even a shell in the ocean. Yes. If you open an oyster. Yes. Every, every intricate detail. That's how our God is. Amen. So he, there's nothing happens stands. So if I come into the temple, if I come into his house, there is an order that the Holy Spirit is trying to establish. I may be ignorant of the order, or I may ignore the order, but there is an order. Mm-hmm. And it's not until I get on one accord with God will I walk in the purpose and that order. It's the same with my life. Oh, you can live your life any way you want to. You can do what you want to do with it. It will go according to whatever you're doing with it. But if you bring it into the divine plan and step by step meticulously say, Daddy God, this foot that's here, where do I place it next? There. I'm not going to assume I have another foot. It's following. Should I put it beside the first foot? Or should I step beyond that point? Should I step to the left? Maybe I should turn that front foot and go to the right. When does he have the right? I'm saying every day. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for that. The temple's construction that Solomon arranged was built because his father, David, couldn't build it because there was blood on his hands. Solomon, his son, built it. He was right in superseding the tabernacle by the temple. Did you catch that? From the tent was suitable for a wandering life of an unformed nation. But the stately and stable temple for an organized people whose pilgrimage had ended. That line, that line, ladies and gentlemen, speaks to us. You see, the tabernacle was for the wilderness. The tent was for the wilderness. Many Christians today are still in tabernacle form. They pick up their tent and go over here and put the tent down. This is church. This is God. Oh, the wind changed. The tent. Put the tent down. That's the tabernacle. It's mobile. It's for nomads. It's for people who are always going somewhere. The temple was fixed. This is the meeting place for God. Everyone came into it and they stayed right there and worshiped. Are you understanding? That's exactly what it's saying here. The tabernacle is mobile. The temple is fixed. When people get tired of the nomad relationship with God, they'll go to the temple relationship. Daddy God, I'm not going in and out anymore. I am here to stay. Not wander around everywhere with my little tabernacle on my back. Oh, I got the tabernacle with me. The presence of God with me. Here we go. And put it down. No! I'm talking about the temple relationship. The tabernacle has passed. That's done away with. 
So I'm not going to live in something that he himself doesn't desire. He wants a fixed abode in my heart. He wants a fixed, can I say it this way? God wants a fixed priority in my life. He doesn't want to be second. He doesn't want to be behind me in the choice-making order. He wants to be first. Doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Does God agree with you? You're more concerned about the person agreeing with you. You're not concerned about what, is God agreeing with me? Can I get you to agree with me? Oh, yes. Well, so-and-so agrees with me. Oh, you think that outnumbers God? I want God to agree with me. Sinai was a mountain fixed. And those who came to it saw God displayed in one particular way. Mount Zion was another mountain, and they saw God displayed in a totally different way. This is all Old Testament. So God's utterances both to David and Solomon, the presence of the Shekinah on the day of consecration proved the erection of the temple was according to the will of God. There's another huge line right there. What is the Shekinah? The Shekinah is the presence of God. That is him manifesting himself in such a way as he's undeniable. He's undeniably there in the temple to establish in the wilderness a pillar of fire. A cloud led the way. But when they came to a standstill, the presence, the Shekinah of God was dwelling there. When you're standing in the place of God, You'll see the hand of God. He approved it by his own presence. The temple had the meanings which no other building subsequently erected could have. It was a shadow of good things to come. It symbolized much of what was revealed in the person of Christ. Hebrews 9, 12. In closing, this, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the matter. That when this publican, this tax collector, came to the the realization of the purpose of the temple, he met the God of change. If you only understand the purpose of the place that you are in, you will change. He came to understand the purpose of the place. Whereas this practiced Pharisee did not misunderstood the purpose of the place. He came to the place thinking it's about him and his self-justification. That wasn't the purpose of the temple. That wasn't the purpose of, of being there together with others. He missed it. But this tax collector came broken. His heart opened and he found the purpose of the temple. He met with God and when he met with God, he met with change. The Bible says he was justified. What is justification? Justification is a one-time act of God which makes us complete and finished in himself. It is the counterpart to sanctification. Sanctification is the furthering 
of the process that happens in justification. Justification is, is just as if you had never sinned. God makes you right instantly through his blood. Amen. And through sanctification, he begins to work in you his good nature, his good plan, confirming and conforming and contorting and changing your will until it lines up with heaven. Sanctification is happening now. Sanctification is happening inside of you right now. He's sanctifying you. That's the process. Justification addresses a sinner's guilt for any sins they have committed. Justification is God's declaration that a sinner is righteous through the works of Jesus Christ. To be justified, your good works are immaterial. He's not justifying the Pharisee because of his good works. He had a list of good works. He had no justification in that. Justification gives you the privilege as well as the boldness to enter into heaven. This is what he was saying from the beginning. You and I can enter the presence of God from here. The cry in the beginning was, it's me. The cry in the end is, it is still me, O Lord. Can we stand together? Father, in Jesus' name, let this cry come from my heart. Let this cry come from my lips. Lord, it is me. I am in the need of prayer. I am in the need of justification. I am in the need of sanctification. I am in the need of understanding what is the temple for? What is it about? What have you called me into? What have you called me unto? What do you want from me? That my life might be yours and not my own. That my decisions come through your word, through the cross, and not through my consciousness alone. That I take my judgments and my actions after your counsel. That I do not ignore you and leave you last in the equation. But I set you first, Daddy God. That you lead and guide me into all truth, Holy Spirit. That you show me every secret and invisible thing. That you make known to me every miracle. That you open everything I do not understand and cause me to understand. That I might be your child, be your son, be your baby. Walk before you. Rely upon you. Trust in you, Daddy God. That my own heart and mind be broken before you. And I submit to your purpose and your will. That I do only what you say. Amen. That I think only what you permit. That I depart from everything that displeases you. If there's anything in my character or nature you don't like, change it. Change it, Lord. Change it now. Yes, Lord. Change it permanently. It's me, Lord. Father God, it is me calling on you, saying, my relationship with you. It needs to change. Make it sweeter. Make it better. Make it more intense. Make it real, Daddy God. No faking, no acting like I know you, but a sincere knowing you, Daddy God. Let it be me who changes today. Let it be me who changes today, Father. No matter what my neighbor does, let me change. Let me change, Lord. In Jesus' name. name. Amen. Amen. Find your neighbor, your brother, and your sister and tell them it's me. (laughs) (laughs) 